I'm happy to be preaching today and uh, family Sunday, and so we're going to be talking about having a healthy family today. So this will be a message for parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles. If you got a, if you are in a family, if you're a son or a daughter in a family, this is a message for you. And what I want to talk about today is God's promises to broken families. God actually has promises to broken families. In 1993, in Somali. The biggest gunfight broke out since Vietnam. And they made a movie out of this gunfight called Black Hawk Down. The Taliban was trained to shoot down Black Hawk helicopters. And when the U.S. Army was flying into Somalia, they were using a Black Hawk helicopter. And the army on the ground in Somalia shot down, successfully shot down the helicopter and then started to kill our soldiers, but a few of them were able to run away, although injured, were able to hide and defend themselves. Well, we have no man left behind, and so we sent some more soldiers into the city to capture, and, and, and not just capture, but to take and save our American soldiers and it ended up churning out that we got our soldiers eventually and put them in Hummers and began to just drive out of the city through the gunfire, through the chaos. And at one point in one Hummer in particular, they were taking on a ton of gunfire and the driver just assumed, I, I need to stop this Hummer so that we can just somehow save ourselves and he comes to a stop and it just happened to be that there was a a higher ranking officer sitting in the passenger seat next to him and he said what are you stopping for and he said I'm shot I'm shot and he said we're all shot just drive and so he did and they actually got out of there and made it out alive and the really the, the point of the story this morning is that Every single person sitting in this sanctuary today is hurt and broken somehow, some way. But we're continuing to move forward with our lives. I don't know a single family that's not hurting and broken, dysfunctional, trapped in sin, somebody's trapped somewhere, somehow. I don't know a single family that, that, that doesn't have at least a, a, a fa- another family member who's lost. And, and as Christians, we yearn for the day for them to get saved. We're all hurting. Every family in here is broken some way, somehow. We all have a son or a daughter who we wished was closer to Jesus, was more consistent with church attendance, and so today's message is for those who are from broken families. And really, there's, there's three types of families in this place right now. There's, a, there's families in this place right now who you really are broken. Your, your, your home is, is broken. Your family's broken. Lots of pain, lots of hurting. Well, this message is for you today because there's a promise for broken families today. There's another kind of family in here is that you are, are in a good family Christian home, a wonderful family, but as parents, you know that the devil's after your children, and every day you pray that you would, they, the Lord would protect them from the snares and the traps of the enemy, because you are living in a world that's fallen, and you fear that your children would fall too, right? 
So this message is for you. The third kind of family in here today are those families that have seen the promises of God and have actually seen the broken families restored because there's actually promises in the Bible for broken families. And we celebrate today and we pray today that all families would one day be restored. Amen? The enemy has been attacking homes since the beginning of time. He started with Adam and Eve. He's been attacking children since the beginning of time as well. Satan today is actually killing our children before they ever get a chance to even take their first breath. I want to read a story out of Matthew. Did you know that there's a city in, 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 in Israel called Ramah? It's a city called Ramah. And three times throughout history, Ramah has been a city where children have been destroyed by the enemy. And, and we see this actually happen with Jesus' birth. In Matthew chapter 2, right here when Jesus is born, verses 16 through 18, let me see you. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise man had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. In verse 18, the prophet says, A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. This is such an interesting story. This is actually the Christmas story. We don't really preach this side of the Christmas story at our Christmas services, but this is right in the middle of the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 2, we see here that right in the middle of angels coming down to the shepherds with shining glory and proclaiming the goodness of God. And, and right in the middle here in chapter 2 of, of, of the wise men presenting gifts to Jesus. And you, all of a sudden, right in the middle of all this, you get this extremely sad text about the killing of children and the, the, the weeping heard from Mama, Rama, the city of Rama in Bethlehem. And Rachel in the Bible is a prophetic woman and that's why it says, that's why Jeremiah prophesied, a cry was heard in, in Rama, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children. And this is, a, this is the, the, the spirit that come out of Rachel when she prayed this prayer. God, you either give me children or my life is just not even worth living. And that, that cry that was heard from Rachel is the same cry, is the same mourning that we experience once again from Herod wiping out a generation of children two years old and younger, trying to destroy Jesus Christ. It's that same spirit. It's that same weeping. It's that same mourning that we see from Rachel is now happening in the same city of Rama because back in time, when Rachel finally got heard her prayer and gave her children, she had a firstborn son. Finally, his name was Joseph. And God hears our prayers, parents. And who is Joseph? Joseph is in the lineage of Jesus. She gives birth to Joseph, and really, he is just the shadow of Jesus, the Savior, to come. Because Joseph was responsible for saving an entire nation by storing up food during a famine. 
And just like Jesus has saved an entire nation, which is including us, we're the sons and daughters of Abraham, amen? So she gives birth to Joseph, who saves the world, who saves a nation, and then her second son that she gives birth to, his name is Benjamin, who would actually start a lineage of kings. So her sons are extremely important when it comes to the lineage and the genealogy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something that it doesn't end incredibly well for Rachel. During the birth of her second son, Benjamin, something goes wrong. She was traveling. She was, she was with her husband and she was with Joseph, her firstborn son, and she's traveling and she, she stops in the city of Ramah because she feels as if now is the time to give birth to my second son, Benjamin. And she said, the Bible says that she sits under a broom tree, not able to get to a house to deliver the baby properly. But she ends up having to stop under a broom tree in the city of Rama to give birth to her second son. And she delivers the baby. But after she delivers the baby, she realizes something is wrong. And did you know that she actually dies under that tree, never able to Raise the very children that she cried out for, and that cry of Rachel is heard once again, and they bury her under that tree. But Rachel's cries are heard from heaven as she weeps, realizing that she will not be able to see her children grow up or raise her children. Her cries are heard from heaven, and the city of Rama is a prophetic city that we see in the Bible, first with Rachel dying while she gives birth to her second son. Then we have to jump forward now to 586 B.C. And I'm going somewhere with this because, because it all comes together, but we jump forward to 586 B.C. and Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem, invades the city and, and, and the nation of Israel, and he invades that country And it says that after he wipes out the people, that he puts together a group of soldiers, and he tells these soldiers, I want you to go through the city and save 10,000 children. And I want you to bring them back to Babylon. And I'm going to take these children, the smartest children. I want you to save the smartest, the the most good-looking children. I want you to save the strongest of the children. I want you to save the peak of the litter, essentially, is what Nebuchadnezzar wants his soldiers to do. And I want you to round up these children. And I want you to put them in a camp. And you know where he puts these children after he steals them from their parents? He puts them in a camp in Ramah. And we see here in the Bible, it says, in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 14, King Nebuchadnezzar took all of Jerusalem captive, including all the commanders and the best of the soldiers, craftsmen and artisans, 10,000 in all. Only the poorest people were left in the land. And you can only imagine as he steals children, as he takes 10,000 of the greatest and the best and the brightest and the smartest and the strongest, you can only imagine the cries heard from parents and grandparents 
as they see their families broken, as they see their families begin to be taken and divided, and you begin to realize, I'm never going to see my children. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be able to see my, my boy grow up and become a man. I'm never going to be able to instill in them the law of the Lord. I'm never going to be able to do this. And it says in Jeremiah 31 verse 15, this is what the Lord says. A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children are gone. And we've got three times now in the course of humanity that Rama has been a city where children have been ripped from the arms of their parents and weeping from parents is heard. And there's, the Bible says that there's just no comfort for them. And this is just what the enemy does. And unfortunately, I see it happening today. I see the enemy coming in today and trying to take our children from us. Indoctrinate them with something that is not a part of our Christian value system. And I see it happening today. That Satan is coming in and he's trying to break our homes, destroy our families. He's turning children into rebellious children. Children exploring sexuality at an incredibly young age. Children forming addictions and getting into witchcraft. There's confusion with gender. There's a spirit of idolatry. The world tells them to go after, go after the world and search for freedom. But the freedom that the world gives them will put them in chains and bondage. Don't you see it, parents? Is it concern you like it concerns me? Do you think, oh, I, as a parent, I must be praying now more than ever before. Do you feel it like I feel it, parents? As a parent of young children myself, I can see the, I call it the, the traps and the snares are coming for my children. I see it. But I pray every day that they would be children who do not fall into the devil's traps. And see, that, that devil that possessed Nebuchadnezzar, it's the same spirit that, that got all over Herod. It's that same spirit that's about us today, and it's impacting our families. It's the same devil today trying to tear our families apart. He's just doing it in different ways. I love what the Lord did for Joseph and Mary. After they give birth to Jesus and the wise men visit and they begin the, the wise men, thank God for the wise men that they outwitted Herod, right? And then thank God that, that, that Joseph and Mary received that message telling them, get out of here. Warn them in a dream. You need to get out of here. You need to flee to Egypt. Save Jesus. This is interesting, man. Right in the middle of the Christmas story. You know, it's funny. When you read the Christmas story and, and, and you, you think about all the parts happening within the Christmas story, this is the part that I can relate to the most. A fleeing, a warning, a, 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 a running away, a, a, a weeping of families for their children, weeping of grandparents watching their grandchildren, parents struggling with prodigals running away. I see, I can relate to this. You know, it's interesting because we read the Christmas story, but I just have a, I can't relate to a virgin birth. Anybody else in here? You're like, oh yeah, when I read that, that virgin birth part, whew, feels just like me. Never. I can't, re, I have even a hard time relating with the idea of being a shepherd and the glory of the Lord shining in the field at night and telling me to go see the Savior. I can't relate to that. I can't relate to being a wise man traveling by the stars at night. But this part I can relate to. Maybe you can too. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with my friends who talk about how they wish their parents had not gotten a divorce. How they wish that their father wasn't addicted to alcohol. How they wish that their mother would have been kind and loving and spoken words of of love over them. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had. And the only reason that they're able to function and thrive and become leaders and wonderful mothers and fathers themselves is because of Jesus Christ and his redeeming love over them. And his changing, his grace, how it just comes through and changes them. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had. But I can relate to this. And Satan is still about us today, attempting to destroy an entire generation once again. We are under attack. You know, the worst part about all this is when our families get attacked. You want to know one of the worst parts about all this is when the devil whispers in our ears as parents and says, why would a good God let any of this happen? Oh, the goodness of God can't be real because look at all the evil happening around us. And I want to encourage you today that God had nothing to do with it because, because, no, the reason there's so much bad and evil in this world is because of Satan and his demons. They torment, trap, they snare us, they snare our children. But I believe it's time for us parents, 2022, amen, to pray against the attacks of the enemy like never before. Proclaim the goodness of God because God's plans are good. His purposes is good for our family, right, church? Amen. So we going to pray this simple prayer every single day before we go to bed, parents. Lord, I pray you protect my, ch- my children from the attacks and snares of the enemy. Keep them safe. Amen? And I want to even encourage those parents who have adult children, don't stop praying for them. Don't stop praying for those adult children. Because the devil doesn't care at what age you are. Or your child is six years old, he'll get them. He wants to destroy them. 13 years old, 30 years old. It doesn't matter. You got a children, you got to pray for them. Look at one, this wonderful verse in the Bible for our families. Jeremiah 31, verses 16 through 17. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There's hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. Amen, church? You know, the devil wants to tell us that all those prayers that ain't going to work. The devil wants to tell us that all every time you took your child to church on Sunday and Wednesday, that was for nothing. That's 21 days of prayer and fasting that you started out. It's not going to do nothing for you. That's what the devil wants to say. But the Bible says the exact opposite, doesn't it, church? Proverbs 22, verse 6. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. This is a promise for us parents, right? This is a promise. We have to trust God that this is true for us. We've got to train our children up. And that doesn't always necessarily mean simple talks. Because training is going to require that we show them what it means to be a man and woman of God. What do I mean by that? Let me give you some examples of how you can train your child. You got to show them 
We do it by the way we live our lives. This is, it's the pro, this is a process where we transfer values, character, spirituality, and purpose. Here's some examples. Sometimes you just got to tell your kids, kids, daddy's going on a prayer walk. And you just walk out that door at 12 degrees. And you do a prayer walk. You gotta, your kids got to find you praying and reading your Bible. You got to show them. You, could, you can take your children on a missions trip. Thank God Cornerstone Church takes families on missions trips. That's risky. We do it. And it shows them that God is real. Take your children with you to go pray for the sick. Show them it. Show them how it's done. Help your child start a Bible study in their school. You can do it. But did you know that this is a true statistic? That parents who just simply talk to their kids about faith have a 300% increased chance that that child will stay in the church when they become an adult. That's just talking. That's just, that's just around the dinner table having simple conversations about Jesus. The blood of Jesus, how it cleanses us from our sins. We talk to our children about this stuff at the dinner, dinner table. We, we talk to them about healings and miracles. We talk to them about how the Lord has healed our friend or, he, or, or, or has doing a good work in one of our friends. We talk about stuff like this. And just talking actually creates a 300% increased chance that they're going to stay in the church when they become adults. We gotta, as, as parents, we've got to pray with faith, don't we? Hebrews 11, verse 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. Look at that. We've got to do it with, with faith, but there's a weapon that has to come, us, come up against our families, but the weapon won't succeed. How do I know that? Because the Bible says it. Isaiah 54, verse 17. It says, but in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. Amen? You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. I was reading my Bible this week, and I was just reading in Ezekiel. I was just going through Ezekiel, and I come across Ezekiel 36, verses 35 through 38. Listen to what this verse says. I thought it just spoke to me, and I'm going to speak it over you guys too. It says, and when I bring you back, people will say, this former wasteland, which could be your family, this former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and are filled with people. Then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do what I say. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like a flock. They will be as numerous as the sacred flocks that fill Jerusalem's streets at the time of first festivals. The ruined cities will be crowded with people once more. And everyone will know that I am the Lord. Amen, church? Come on. I've been talking about the kids, but what about you now, parents? What about you? Are you living right? As parents, are you living right? Are are you trapped right now in something? Because I want to tell you right now, parents, our our decisions have a generational impact. Adam and Eve sinned. We're still paying the price for that mistake. 
and our mistakes, our, our legacy that we be, leave behind as parents, they will have generational impacts if we're not careful. Deuteronomy 5 verse 9, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. And thank God, in a moment, we can turn that around. We can turn it around and we can begin to create a generation of world changers. A generation that affects the next generation that affects the next generation. I know this is weird for you to even think about. But one day you're going to be gone from this place. But your children's children will fill these pews. Amen? Amen. That means every brick that was laid wasn't even for you. Every tithe you gave wasn't about you. You laid a foundation for your children's children. You know, sin doesn't think ahead. It doesn't look to the future. It lives in the moment. It trades immediate personal benefit for the pain of others in the future. Mark 9 verse 42. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Now we have an awesome responsibility as parents, don't we? And even those who aren't parents still have a responsibility. Why? Because you're a member of society. To the children impacted directly or indirectly by the way you live. Now the sins of disobedient fathers, God said, would actually impact generations after them. So as parents, listen up now. Our habits, language, attitudes, values, priorities, and lives. These six life choices directly influence not, our, not only our children, but our great-grandchildren as well, according to the Bible. And so what are you about you, parents, your habits? Your habits, these are the things that what you show your children consistently, they will pick up and mimic. And I know some of you fathers out there, you're, you're, you're a hard worker. And you, or you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to instill into my children hard work, and that is a good thing. But I want to encourage you today, too, to turn into a prayer warrior. To instill in your children something other than just a hard work ethic. Your language, number two. There's six of them. Your language, how you talk. How you talk about things speaks loudly. Your attitude. Number three, your attitude. How you react to life teaches them how to react as well. Careful. Number four, your values. Show them what's most valuable. And what is most valuable? It's a relationship with God. That's most valuable to your children, parents. Your priorities, number five. Prioritize the house of God as a family. Do it. You won't regret it. Number six, your lives. Your lives. You know, the church gets about 40 to 60 hours a week with your children. 40 to 60 hours a week, a year, the church gets to try to influence your children. Parents, you get about 3,000 hours a week with your children. Now listen, as pastors, leaders, teachers, We love your children, but at the end of the day, it's the parent that that the children look to. 
And if the parents are telling them to get to church, they're going to listen to you. We can tell them all we want. But really, it's the parents. Did you know they did a study and to try to figure out why? And it seems like parents don't have much influence. When, when you watch TV and you watch the world, it just seems like parents have no influence, doesn't it? It's an absolute lie. They always do this study that shows who has the greatest influence on your life. It's always mom and dad. Every single time. You're there for them on the birthdays, holidays. You're the one who gives them presents. You're the one who heals their wounds. You're the one who holds them when they're sick. You're the one who takes them to the doctors. You're the one who takes them to practice. You're the one who picks them up. You're the one who puts the dinner on the table. You have so much influence over their life. Recognize the power and the influence you have as parents and use that responsibility for good things. Right, church? Come on, we can do it. We can do it. When our influence on children is caring and loving, then we are blessing the future. But when our influence is harmful and negligent, we are actually cursing the future. Let's pray. Let me pray for you today as we close. Lord God, I lift up the parents in this place, O Heavenly Father. And Lord, I just pray right now, O Lord God, that there just was something in this message that just grab them that they would just begin to pray for their children more than ever Lord God I love that word spoken over us today as a church at the end of worship from Pastor Tim that he has readied our hands for war we are ready and Lord God I pray that that would even just be a prophetic word for our parents that we are now ready as parents to pray and lead And show our children what it means to be a man and woman of God. Would we always instill in our children to follow Jesus, to obey God above anything else? And Lord God, I even lift up those who are in this place today who are lost. Far from you, O God. Lord, I pray today would be their day when they come back. And I love what happened with Paul in the Bible. After that bright light hit him and blinded him, he was on the road to Damascus going to kill Christians and persecute them and put them in prison. And that bright light stopped him in his tracks and he was trembling and also astonished. And after that bright light hit him, he said this one simple thing in Acts 9 verse 6. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's how you know Paul got saved. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I want to encourage you right now that if you're a child of God, you're saved. You say that one sentence. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's how you know you're saved. That's how you know you're saved. And I wonder if there's anybody in this place right now who's never actually told God that. Lord, what do you want me to do? Sure, you've prayed the prayer. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you still haven't decided to live fully for the Lord. You're holding back things. You're holding back certain things. You're you're like certain things that, that you do in the world, running about. But it's time to give those up and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? With every head bowed still and every eye closed, if that's you today, say, Pastor Lucas, I need to, today is my day. I'm, I'm, 
coming back. I'm, I'm giving my life to the Lord. And today I'm saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm done with the old life. I'm ready to start something brand new from my wonderful Savior. If that's you today, you want to pray a prayer of salvation with me, I'd love to lead you in it. Could you right now simply just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Lucas. That's me. Raise your hand right now. You want to give your life to Jesus. Say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Anybody in the 9 a.m. service today? Yes. I see a couple hands. Children. That's wonderful. More children. Yes. Yes. Amen. I see hands. Yep. There's another hand right there. Amen. Amen. This is a day where families are changed forever, Cornerstone Church. We've got fathers raising their hands to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Today is a day. Amen. Why don't we do this at this time? Why don't we just stand to our feet? We're going to worship just a little bit. And if you raise your hand, come on down. I'm going to pray with you privately right down here on the altar area. Don't be scared to come on down. You say, Lord, what would you have me to do? He's telling you right now. I want you to go down and pray with Pastor Lucas. So come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. You said.